Welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast, where we teach and preach the truth of the Catholic faith without compromise and without apology. We want to give you high energy and non-boring Catholicism, where anyone at any time can come to know exactly what the Catholic Church teaches and why. We do apologetics, spirituality, other religions, our culture, and more. Most of all, we want to inspire you, inform you, and help you to know, love, and live your Catholic faith with purpose and passion. We are Catholic Truth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of Debunking the Bible Flock Box. In our first podcast, we debunked the first three objections to this man who gave his 10 reasons for leaving the Catholic faith. If you haven't seen that podcast yet, make sure to check it out below on our Catholic Truth podcast page. And in this podcast, we're going to answer four, five, and six and continue debunking in depth this man's many mistakes and many misconceptions about the Catholic Church. Objection number four. He says that the Bible prohibits vain repetition, praying prayers over and over again like the rosary. Here's what he says. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. Just because you pray a certain prayer more, like the Hail Mary, doesn't mean you have a better chance of getting heard by God. Not to mention, we shouldn't be praying to Mary anyway. And why are so many prayers in the rosary directed to Mary instead of God? That's kind of odd, don't you think? There's over 30 prayers to Mary and like 5 or 6 prayers directed to God. This confused man says that just because you pray a prayer over and over and over again and you multiply the prayers, it doesn't mean that your chances of being heard are even increased. And that's not why we pray prayers over and over again, although sometimes that can help. Like, for example, the publican in Luke, I believe, chapter 8, who beats his breast and just keeps repeating, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says he went away justified. And I think this man uh, forgets that Jesus repeated prayers too, like in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. He said uh, the same prayer three times again, and then he came back and said it again, and then he came back and said it again. Did he not think that God heard him the first time? Did he not think that the Father was listening? Or can you repeat prayers and be fervent about your desire to pray to God and just pour out your intentions to him? See, the Bible does not condemn repetitious prayer. Not at all. It says it condemns vain repetition and babbling like the pagans. How did the pagans pray? They could pray up to a half a day because they thought that they had to multiply their prayers in order for their gods to even want to listen to them. As opposed to Catholics, we know that God hears us the first time we pray. We know that we can pray one prayer and God hears us and loves us and listens to us and desires to listen to us. So the fact that we repeat prayers is not just to multiply them so that we can get God to listen to us, kind of like brown-nosing him or buttering him up or, oh, if we keep praying and praying and praying, oh, he has to give it to us. It doesn't work that way. 
way. There are several instances of repetitive prayer in the Bible that are acceptable to God. And the reason why Catholics repeat prayers in the rosary is because the rosary is primarily a meditation on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The Bible commands us to meditate night and day on the Word of God. That's all the rosary is, or primarily what the rosary is, is a meditation on the Word of God, the Gospels, while simultaneously asking Mary to pray for us and helping us to imitate Jesus, imitate his perfect life, and imitate what the Word of God says. It's intercessory prayer. Now, that's so interesting because this man said at the beginning of his video that he used to pray the rosary and that he learned the rosary, but he did not pray the rosary. He may have learned it, but he didn't pray it because if he had prayed it, he would know what it means. He would know what it's about, but he doesn't. He goes on to talk about how Catholics worship Mary as the Queen of Heaven, and simultaneously in Jeremiah 44, the pagans used to worship a Queen of Heaven, so he thinks that they're the same thing. Listen to what he says. During the rosary, some prayers require Catholics to refer to Mary as the Queen of Heaven and their life and hope. You never find Mary being called the Queen of Heaven in the Bible. The only time you find the phrase Queen of Heaven used in the Bible is in reference to the worship of a pagan idol, which God did not approve of. It is true that pagans worshipped a queen of heaven, just as pagans worshipped gods and people they thought were Lord. And in fact, Christians worship a god and a Lord. Does that mean Christians in worshipping Jesus are taking that from pagans who also worshipped a Lord? In fact, Christians have baptism as an introduction and coming into their religion. In fact, pagans had a baptism before Christianity. So did Christians take baptism from paganism? Or is this man just saying that just because these two things are in common, queen of heaven here and queen of heaven, they must be the same thing. But of course, they're not the same thing. They're not remotely the same thing. Christianity, as atheists condemn us for, say, many atheists say, that we got our Jesus, our Lord Jesus, from ancient pagan lords and gods, and our baptism from ancient pagan baptisms. And this man is just doing the same thing. Mary as Queen of Heaven has nothing to do with the ancient Queen of Heaven that the pagans worshipped. And in fact, if you actually read Jeremiah 44, Mr. Anti-Catholic, ex-Catholic, you're going to see that they worshipped this lady and offered incense to her and baked cakes to her, and they offered drink libations to her. It was full out worship of her, offering sacrifice to her. I mean, you can't find anything remotely like that in the Catholic Church because that is not what the Catholic Church believes. Mary is the Queen of Heaven simply because in ancient Israel, the mothers of the king always ruled by their side. They were called the Queen Mother or the Gabira. And this Gabira in the Old Testament, you can see it in the Kingdom of David. He would have his mother by his side. And she was highly respected in the kingdom. But of course, she, like everyone else in the kingdom, was subject to the king. And so Mary, being the queen mother, mother of the true king, Jesus Christ, is the queen. And that's how it always was in Israel with their kings. And so Mary would be highly respected, but she, like everyone else in the universe, is subject to the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Has nothing to do with worship. She's not worshipped. She's honored and respected, just like the ancient queen was, but she's not worshipped. Only Jesus Christ is worshipped. And if any Catholic does happen to worship Mary, they're going against God, their own Catholic faith, and the Bible because the Catholic Church condemns anything or anyone being worshipped other 
than Jesus Christ. Objection number five, he says, is that the sacraments don't save you. And this is what he says. The sacraments impart grace, but in addition, the very act of celebrating them disposes the faithful most effectively to receive this grace in a fruitful manner, to worship God rightly, and to practice charity. Therefore, you need to do the sacraments in order to receive the grace of God. That's work-based salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We receive the grace of God which leads to salvation through faith, not keeping the sacraments. So many ex-Catholics and anti-Catholics say the sacraments don't save you. Jesus saves you. It's Jesus who saves you. But you are relying on your works. You're relying on your sacraments. You're relying on other things other than Jesus to save you. But they're misunderstanding the Catholic belief. We believe 100% that Jesus saves us. It is only Jesus who saves us. We can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good works to get to heaven. We can't do anything to get to heaven. We have to obey Jesus and he gets us us to heaven. But we get to heaven by following Jesus, by being obedient to Jesus, and by doing his holy will. And Jesus gave us the sacraments. Jesus saves us through the sacraments. So do we believe that the sacraments save? Absolutely. But do they save by themselves? No, of course not. It's Jesus who saves us through the sacraments. That's why Protestants will say, oh, but nowhere in the Bible does it say the sacraments save you. Really? Because 1 Peter 3.21 says, baptism saves you, just as one random example. Baptism saves you. Now, Protestants hate that verse. They hate it because they're like, no, Jesus saves us. And I've had round and round arguments about this. And I said, of course, Jesus saves us, but he saves us through baptism. As Acts 2.38 says that if you want to be saved, it's through repentance and baptism. Then Peter says you will receive forgiveness for your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit if you repent and are baptized. See, faith, repentance, baptism, they all go together. They're all part of what it means to be born again. And in fact, in John 3, 5, it says you must be born of water and the Spirit if you want to see the kingdom of God. And that refers to baptism. Therefore, baptism is necessary. But it's not baptism by itself because there's been many baptisms. It's Christ who saves us through Christian baptism. And one might mention John 6, 51 through 655, where Jesus says you must receive his flesh and blood, the Eucharist, in order to have eternal life. And if you don't, you have no life within you and you do not remain attached to Christ. And we need to remain attached to Christ if we want to go to heaven with him. The problem with the Protestant understanding of theology is that they believe that salvation and being saved is a one-time moment. And it's not. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you're saved forever. Once you accept Jesus Christ, you're automatically going to heaven. There's nothing you can do to jeopardize your salvation. You're just going to go straight to heaven. It doesn't say that anywhere. He quotes Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, as most Protestants do. But this is talking about just the initial conversion process when we are coming to Christ. When we come to Christ and he redeems us and regenerates us and forgives our sins, we can't do anything on our own to earn salvation. Of course, we have to do something on our part. Romans 10, 9 says we have to accept Christ. We have to confess him with our lips. We have to repent of our sins. We have to confess him as Lord. We have to believe it in our heart. Yes, there is a response from our part. There 
is something we must do. But can we save ourselves? Can we give ourselves the eternal divine life within us? Can we remove our own sins? Of course not. So while we do have to do something from our part, it's Christ alone who saves us. There is a response. There is no such thing as faith alone. If there's faith alone, oh, you don't have to do anything else. Of course you do. You have to repent. You have to believe. You have to confess. And you have to get baptized. Yeah, There are things you have to do, but it's Christ alone who saves us through these things. So it's not works-based salvation. The Catholic Church condemns work-based salvation, believing that you can get to heaven if you multiply your works. If you're good enough, if you do X, Y, and Z, you can get yourself to heaven. That is a heresy, and it is condemned. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus gets us to heaven. And we get to heaven by following Jesus through faith, by his grace, and by being obedient to him and his commandments. And one can see this in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, where people go to hell because they didn't live out their faith. Oh, sure, anyone can have faith. James chapter 2 says the devil can have faith and believe in God, but he doesn't do anything with it, and he does evil acts. We have to live out our faith faithfully every day to follow Christ till the end of our life. And in fact, Matthew 24 says that if you persevere to the end through all the trials and tribulations you're going to face, then you will be saved eschatologically. The word saved is used three different ways in the Bible, and only one of those ways is used eschatologically, meaning saved forever, end times, eternal salvation. Most of the times the Bible uses that word saved, it is not in reference to eschatological saving. It just has to do with cutting off our past sins or being saved from some event or having ourselves redeemed in some way, but not eternally saved. Jesus says, if you want to be eternally saved, you must follow the commandments and you must follow his will. Look at Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls him Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of of the Father. The will of the Father is not a one-time moment. The will of the Father is every day of your life. And there are Protestants out there, not all of course, but who think that you can do whatever you want. Murder, kill, steal, it doesn't matter because you're saved and you're good and you can't lose your salvation. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says that idolaters, murderers, homosexuals, and many others that they go down the list says these people will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you're going off and doing all these abominations from our previous life, then you're not going to be saved no matter how saved you think you are. In fact, look at Revelation 20. L listen to what it says and ask yourself, does it say that we are saved by faith alone or does it say we are saved by living out our faith in works and being faithful to Christ? Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before God, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And the death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Notice it doesn't say according to his faith, because following Christ predisposes faith. I mean, it, it assumes a faith. We have to have faith to be saved, but not just any faith. I mean, we could say we have faith and not do anything or do evil deeds and not follow Christ. A true faith is a working faith that lives itself out, out of love for Christ. And I think many Protestants and Catholics are very similar and uh, almost on the same page with this because Protestants 
Most Protestants say you have to do some works too, but the difference is they believe it's a one-time moment and then you live it out. Catholics say that it's not a one-time moment. You do live it out for the rest of your life, and it's following Christ and being obedient to him until the end of your life. So again, this is not works-based salvation. Our works cannot save us. We don't do works to be saved. We do works out of love for Christ, by his grace, and by his grace he saves us. Acts 15 11 says we are saved by grace alone. You can't have faith without grace, and you can't do works without grace. Both are needed, and both are by Christ. So it is Christ who saves us, and that has been the Catholic teaching for 2,000 years. Objection number six is that infant baptism doesn't do anything. Here's what he says about that. Since I was born into a Catholic family, I was baptized as an infant. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that it's necessary to baptize infants because of original sin. Original sin means not only have they inherited the sinful and fallen nature of Adam and Eve, but also their guilt. So infants need to get baptized to be free from this sin. Otherwise, they could end up in limbo. He talks about how Adam and Eve sinned and how Catholics think that that sin and guilt was passed on to the human race. And he goes on to say that if babies are not baptized, then they go to limbo. But limbo has never been a teaching of the Catholic Church. And in fact, we just had a video on that semi-recently. But it's never been an official teaching of the Catholic Church. It's been a theological speculation about what might happen to babies after death because the Bible says you must be born again in order to get into the kingdom of heaven, John 3, 5. And babies who die before they're able to be baptized are not born again. So we don't believe they're going to go to hell. Uh, because they didn't do anything wrong. But where do they go because they haven't been born again? So theologians over the years just speculated about possible different scenarios like limbo, like a baby heaven. So again, limbo isn't a Catholic teaching. And if you want to see what we believe, go back and check out that video. So on the one hand, this man says that babies do not inherit the sin of Adam and Eve and their guilt. But on the other hand, he says and admits that they do inherit the sinful nature of Adam and Eve. And so, I mean, basically, that's original sin. We inherit that of Adam and Eve. We inherit a sinful nature because of what they did. They, in a sense, were responsible for the fate of the human race. And yes, while our personal sin is our own, we receive their guilt and consequences consequently. I mean, do you die? I mean, if a baby doesn't sin, is it still going to die? Yes. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. If you sin, you have to die. But babies don't sin, but they still die, showing that they inherit the sin of Adam and Eve, their their guilt, their, their mistake that they did, their sin, their offense against God. So they have that original sin on their soul, and that's why they die. That's why we all die and have a sinful nature in the first place. And we can read this in Corinthians and Romans 5 and many other verses where it talks about how as one man sinned, all die because of that one man's sin. This man goes on to say that baptism is a symbolic representation of you already being saved. It represents going from death to life. It's a symbol that you died to your sins and that you are alive with Christ. And he quotes Romans chapter 6, which talks about being buried with Christ in baptism and then rising again. The only thing he's confused about in this regard is it's not symbolic. It 
actually cleanses us from our sins, as Acts 2.38 says, and it actually regenerates us, or should I say Christ regenerates us through baptism. Christ works his grace. His, his What he did for us on the cross comes to us through baptism, and we are regenerated by Christ and his power and his victory on the cross. If you read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, it doesn't say anywhere it doesn't say anywhere in the entire Bible that baptism is symbolic. Nowhere does it say that. And in fact, in 1 Peter 3.21, as I already stated, it says that baptism saves you. Or rather, Jesus saves us through baptism. It's not just removal of dirt, but it's actually cleansing you. It's a renewal of who you are. Titus 3.5 talks about the washing of regeneration and being renewed in Christ. First Timothy talks about being buried with Christ, and only then can we have freedom from our sins. And how are we buried with Christ? Through baptism. Actually read Romans 6. It actually says we are buried with Christ in baptism. It doesn't say you're buried before, and it's only symbolic, and it doesn't really mean anything, and so you just pretend to go down and pretend to rise up. No, it actually says that you are buried with Christ through baptism, and you rise to new life with Christ through baptism. Now, of course, before this, you had faith, presumably if you're an adult, and you believed in Christ, and you accepted Christ, and then Christ fully regenerates you and cuts you off from your past and fills you with the Holy Spirit in baptism. He gives you the full life of a Christian in and through baptism. And that is what Christians have believed for 2,000 years up until recent times uh, after the Protestant Reformation when people started to change that and see it just as a, a symbolic gesture like a wedding ring. And I'm not going to go too much into infant baptism right now because recently, I think within the last month or two, we made a video on infant baptism and we showed that it's biblical. We showed that it's historical. We showed that not only adults were baptized. In fact, the Bible talks about converts to Christianity. So of course, they're going to have to have faith. Of course, they're going to have to believe. And in the Old Testament, in circumcision, you had to be an adult. You had to believe also. But if you had children, they could be circumcised as well. And in fact, on the eighth day, even though they couldn't have faith, the faith that was necessary and required to accept circumcision, they still could be circumcised, just like baptism. Yes, as an adult, as someone who's making a choice, you need to have that faith. And also, just as the Old Testament babies could be circumcised, so New Testament babies can be baptized. And you can see more about that in our video on infant baptism. You can understand what it is, how it works, why it's biblical, why it's historical, and why pretty much everyone believed it, even Protestant reformers in history, until more modern times when people changed that by their own opinion, with no authority to do so. And now we have Protestants giving, I mean, thousands of different theologies, all thinking that they're right, all claiming to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, and all claiming to go by the Bible. But infant baptism goes back to the time of the apostles, and it has been since the time of the apostles. Not since Constantine, since the apostles. We could say so much more on these topics. And again, this man has left the Catholic Church, and we have many videos on why the Catholic Church is the true church. Don't be deceived. Come back to Christ, his true church. Research the Catholic Church. Watch our videos. Look at the Catholic Encyclopedia. Look at any encyclopedia, and you'll find a list of 264 popes going back to the time of Peter because only the Catholic Church goes back to the time of Jesus Christ our Lord. If you love what we do and you want to be part of it, please support us on Patreon or PayPal. 
Join our family. Join our team. Join our army. We are building an army for Christ, and we are reaching more and more people than ever before. We are bringing lost Catholics home. We are helping non-Catholics to come to the Catholic Church, and we are keeping Catholics Catholic. We are bringing Jesus Christ to the world. So if you would like to help us with that, please consider supporting our ministry. We need many supporters like you, for we are a nonprofit organization, and you are the reason that we exist. So thank you for your help. Thank you to all our new patrons. And thank you for all those people who believe in our ministry and our mission. May God bless you.